Radio. Hey, everyone. Another podcast episode. Ooh. Long time no see. Last time was like a couple of weeks ago, right? We're, we're cursed at the moment, so we, we always have to reschedule the, the recordings. But here we are, uh, the regular hosts, and we have a guest here as well. Let's, uh, I guess we can introduce ourselves since it's been, been a while. I'm Kevin. I run a site called Svelte School, and I'm involved in the Svelte Society. And I run this podcast as well. Yeah, and, and we are finally back again after a while. I'm Sean. I work or Swix on the internet, and um, I, you know, kind of involved in Spell Society. But also, I guess the the real news is that I work at Temporal.io, where we are actively building out an app in Spell Kit. So I think it's pretty interesting that all three of us now work on production Spell apps. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Anthony. So I'm trying this remote working lock where you uh, you work from a computer that isn't your normal computer, and it's really not going very well at all. So that's I guess that's my news. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm still a CTO of Bianc, and I'm still a, a Svelte Core maintainer, although I have to say that uh, the amount of priorities right now means that I haven't done much uh, maintenance uh, recently. But, um, but yes, thank you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we can hear you all right. It's fine. This is, this is um, good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we have a guest with us today. I'm I see you not avoided guessing my name. <laughs> I, I, I was going. I, I was coming up to that part. <laughs> so your your real first name is Martin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legally. But your but your all your I online much go with, nickname. Uh, yeah, Gregor Fulzer online. So like, uh, most people probably know me by that on the server as well. I'm most active in the SvelteKit channel and sometimes in the Svelte channel. I'm a core maintainer of SvelteKit and Veep, but I don't uh, I don't really do the Svelte core stuff. Yeah, I had no idea you were working on Veep as well. He's, our, he's our Trojan. We uh, snuck him in. We we put him inside. We put him inside the horse and we pushed him in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah that one started because uh, I was trying to get. Like initially, we had some really break. Uh, we we had major breaking bugs with SvelteKit that had to be fixed on V. So I made like two PRs on that, and then um, it snowballed from there. Like they they were they happened to be looking for maintainers at the time, like core maintainers at the time, and um, uh, one of the existing core maintainers suggested to me, "Hey, why don't you uh, apply to this?" Oh, that's cool. So yeah. what what's what's your what's your background like? Um, I don't actually like for well, I don't have anything to plug, <laughs> and uh, I'm still in university right now. And so far, like I've been, I've been doing web stuff for a while now. Like I've, I, I've also launched a SvelteKit production app for a client. It's running. It's, it's been running all right. Um, yeah, okay. like. I touched felt like about two, two, one. Was it one or two years ago? Let me check. Oh, only one year ago. And then like took a break for like six months, and then when I came back, it was still fresh in my memory. I, I, I it was very easy to pick up again. Yeah, yeah. That makes so sense. you're still, you're still at university. Are you, are you studying for like like a master's or a PhD or whatever? Whatever. No, 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 no. It's it's not a master's. It's just a bachelor's. Okay. I'd say that's pretty cool. Yeah, but like, have you met with other? Uh, you know, what, what was your background in web development before it felt like? Um, how so did you before it felt, I mean, like in high school, I tried React a bit, but like the like the, the I, my I couldn't wrap my brain around it. Like it's just really complex. Uh, and before that, like I guess like I was already into web dev, but like mo like mostly I touched like vanilla JS. And didn't really use any frameworks, just because like every time I wanted to touch frameworks, is like I was driven away by the huge bundle sizes, like that the like because like React comes with a huge runtime, Vue was better, but like still came with a huge runtime ish. Preact was way smaller, but uh, by the time like I saw Preact, I already saw Svelte first. So yeah, and it's it's more fun to write HTML. That's my, just my opinion. 
So, so what, what does your, uh, what does your uh, nickname mean? Or does it even have a meaning? The, it's, the it's a really old re reference to, it's localized as Mega Man in, in the, I guess in the US, uh, but in, in, Jap in Japan, it's called Rockman. So that's, uh, I, th I don't know if you've heard of Mega yep. Man and the series. And like one of the games is, um, what was it? Battle Network? Battle Network, was it five or six? Uh, two, of the, two of the final bosses are called Gregor and one, one's called Gregor, one's called Fozor. And then like they do a fusion at some point. Oh. <laughs> so, I, so I just use that. And it's that's so funny. that's been that's been my username since uh, how many years has it been now? It's like that's like two thousand and eight or something. It's really old, and I haven't I haven't really searched uh, usernames since. Yeah, that makes sense. So, how do you how did you uh, get into like SvelteKit, or rather, like how did you become a, a core maintainer? So I mentioned that I had a production app in SvelteKit. So it started with that. Like I already, I already had an idea of like what the routing landscape was like in Svelte. So I, I already knew that I wanted a file system router. So my options at the time were either use Sapper, use Rootify, or use or somehow work with SvelteGit, which at the time had no documentation because it was pre-beta. And uh, so I tried Rootify first. But I don't know why I couldn't set it up. Uh, I knew I, I knew the Rootify server was very friendly, but for some reason something in my head said, "Why don't we go uh, try SvelteKit, the the beta undocumented thing, and then see if you can um, reverse engineer that to make it work?" Uh, so I started with that. Like I made. Um, like I knew, like it wasn't there wasn't much information to go off at first because like there wasn't well, one there wasn't a Svelte channel. Two is like even when there there was like some Svelte talk, it was very hush hush at the time. Like just people passing around information. Hey, you can do this in Svelkit or whatever. And the only other like thing that close to documentation you could go off was Sapper documentation. So I I realized that the production the 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 bundle was what do you call it? The npm package for SvelteKit had the JS mappings in it, so you could reverse the code back to its original, roughly its original source, instead of like the minified stuff. So that made it a lot easier to figure out what was going on under the hood. <laughs> and like, and then I started like, and then I started making like my own patches on top of that because like, one of the big blockers was like. SvelteKit didn't work on Windows at the time because like none of the maintainers used Windows, so it's like it was a low priority and like it's pretty hard to test anyway if you don't have a Windows machine. And then like a couple, what weeks later, I decided like, well, why don't we document this? Because like I needed to use it anyway for my my really bad idea of using using pre-alpha software in production. <laughs> Because because I had uh, one more person working with me, so I just kind of threw him through the to the wolves and like, uh, hey, here's here's Svelte, uh, uh, here's the tutorial, here's Svelte Kit, and then I didn't tell him it was pre-beat uh, software until like we were about two weeks into the project. I see no problem with that. I think that's completely fine. No problem at all. <laughs> so yeah, so I had to write my own documentation for that, and then I realized well. This is useful for other people as well. So why why not just you know it's easier to instead of like having to retype every time I wanted to tell someone hey this thing works like this in SvelteKit uh, I might as well just have a actual pages that I could link to yeah. uh, and then and you then also, I released uh, the, yeah I released the documentation that way yeah yeah so I was also gonna say you you started like a, a secret Discord server right. <laughs> it wasn't secret so much as like I realized like well the maintainers don't want to talk about it so like obviously I'm not gonna pressure them to talk about it might as well yeah. just have somewhere some place to talk about it that doesn't bother them so I just made a server I put the link on it on the unofficial documentation and then uh, people started coming in because like well there was no other place to really talk about spellkit until the yeah. public beta 
So I think that I, actually, I think that a lot of the maintainers were actually using your documentation because we didn't really have our own documentation anyway. Because um, documentation was kind of the last thing that got built because we kept changing stuff. So actually, I think your 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 documentation became the source of truth. Yeah, yeah that that also I, became weird with like because like some of the stuff I had to guess like stuff like uh, was it the dollar app I couldn't really figure out like what what does this do what the, like like um, I cross reference with Sapper most of the time to figure out okay like I mean roots work about the same way like the page stuff kind of works the same way um, yeah like aside from renaming differences. And then what else? But yeah, like some of the less used stuff, the more niche, like base path and like uh, asset paths, I can figure out on my own. So hopefully that didn't, uh, that didn't like, that wasn't like a terrible uh, rendition of a documentation, I guess. <laughs> and I now it, I, think I it worked should... very well. Yeah, I should probably take it down at this point because like it's outdated at this point, and I should be pointing to the official docs instead because I because I can update that instead. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> All right. So should we uh, talk a bit about some news, maybe? Sure. Maybe what that, happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So uh, Svelte is the uh, most loved framework in the stock Stack Overflow uh, thing. I think we. I didn't see that come out. I didn't. I didn't see like I was never asked to vote on that. Like I don't know how you actually sure? how you become part of it. I think you. I think we actually mentioned it on the podcast like a couple of months oh, did ago, we? or it might have been some other thing. <laughs> yeah, but that that makes me that makes me kind of happy because I'm you know I'm guessing here the fact is that it had fewer responses who actively really liked it versus the number of responses for React who thought it was good or, or okay, you know, like the the sentiment of the responses was better. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't think I dread yeah. anything, really. You don't? I, I dread React. No, I, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I mean, I never, I never use it, so why would I dread it, I guess? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I'm actually a bit uh, surprised that ASP.NET Core is up there. But then I, I have no idea about anything regarding ASP.NET. I think I think that I guess ASP.NET and the whole stack and the whole ecosystem around it and the tooling and everything, you know, it's it's kind of like a walled garden. Um, people who, who write applications in kind of full stack and .NET tend to use Blazor, for example. They don't really have a huge amount to compare with um, in terms of like what what you would see if you were just in that stack and involved in it. And I think that as as a as a stack of stuff. If you if you are trying to develop stuff with it, it, it looks pretty good. Um, you know, it, it works together really well. It's cohesive. Um, it's, it's easy. It's straightforward. It's well documented. So I think there's a lot to be said if you're happy to accept all the caveats of .NET. Like I, I'm not. I don't like being tied in so much. And I don't like the kind of it, yeah. It's open. It's open source technically, and it's multi-platform, but it's not really like it's still very Windows focused and Windows centric and. VS Code real only runs on Windows, for example. But if if you if that's the world you live in, I think that you have quite a good experience with it. Right. Yeah. So, like, bring it back to Svelte. So, Sean, you mentioned uh, you guys are b building something in SvelteKit, right? How's that? Like, is does this mirror the the responses that you have from your from your colleagues? Yeah, and no, my team's uh, pretty happy with it. Uh, we're, we're hoping to come up with our like. Uh, how it's going so far, you know, blog posts where we can actually uh, offer some advice or some learning step that we've had. But so far, no regrets. Uh, I think the people be people have been pretty happy with the development speed, which is the main consideration. Uh, and then I think the ecosystem arguments that people have had so far uh, doesn't really hold water, just because uh, we don't use that much, and the ones that we do use, we can uh, either import from existing projects or write ourselves <laughs> and that's fine yeah. so what else is new in 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 svelte this month there's there's a lot of new stuff um fixes so what's so what's the status on that now is i think also we had sorry we just just one more thing i think that we also spotted that the test runner wasn't running a bunch of the tests as well 
Um, so that's now been rectified, I think, or it's, it's in the process of being rectified. But yeah, it's, it's proof, you know, that without without solid test coverage, you uh, you definitely struggle to um, to keep the to keep things working as they should. Yeah. <laughs> so how how many hidden bugs did you guys uh, find when you ran the tests? I think Dominic's got a PR open for it. Yeah, I don't know how many how many we've got to fix. <laughs> so so with regards to like SvelteKit, how how far along are we at the moment? Do you guys know? But couldn't you couldn't you, for example, take the you know, take a, a SvelteKit uh, project and then just run it using the node server and not run it serverless? Like that that would also work, right? <laughs> I think conversely as well though, um Sapper was pretty hard to deploy on serverless. So there was the um, and, and there was there is the um, Sapper, um, what do you call it? It's the Vercel Sapper builder, um, which is just kind of like a module that, that bundles your Sapper application and allows you to deploy it on Vercel. And that's like a third party uh, tool that I've contributed to. And having contributed to it, I can tell you it's extremely convoluted in how it builds and what it does. There's lots of very strange stuff about bunging assets in various places that myself's happy with. Um, so yeah, I think I think the more common use case now would be that you deploy your front end serverlessly. So I think that choosing the serverless approach versus the server full approach, given that it's pretty, you know, we, we provide an adapter to build a server full version anyway, the node adapter. Um, I think it's probably the right decision to to build it as agnostic as possible, but um, fundamentally serverless first. Yeah, I had, I had the same issue with um, the Begin adapter. Um, basically, the Begin provides things, um, like, like it uses architect underneath, and it provides a bunch of stuff that, 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 that gives you like a whole sort of infrastructure language, and it has key value stores, and it has things like that. And the architect sandbox is how they recommend you develop apps, but it's very, at least I couldn't do it anyway, is to get the architect sandbox to run your SvelteKit app in dev mode and then serve it up in dev mode. It was the same with Vercel actually, because Vercel also have their their local dev ends, and it and it didn't work very well with with Sapper. Um, it often didn't work at all actually. Um, I haven't tried it with SvelteKit, but I, I imagine it's quite the same. Um, that you, you, I guess, we need something that's compatible with all these different tools, and that's going to be quite difficult, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's very tedious. So. Yeah. Uh, so I actually have a feature request uh, up, and I think. Uh, uh, Rich Harris actually commented two days ago, which is pretty interesting. Um, so it, this might get implemented. Uh, so I, I basically asked for adapters to modify the dev mode functionality. Um, it seems like this is pretty common. So you know, I'll speak for Netlify. Uh, Netlify dev. Netlify also in, in injects things for authentication uh, and and. Um, serverless functionality into its uh, functions that SvelteKit just doesn't emulate. Um, basically, every we're, we're discovering that every platform has its own emulation service. You don't want to debug by deploying. Uh, it's a very slow process, and it's something that I've uh, learned very painfully uh, <laughs> over over my time at Netlify. So I, I think it's possible to offer hooks to for, for these uh, local emulators to um, to hook into SvelteKit or SvelteKit to hook into the other things, I th I, th I think we should probably work it out. I, th I think it's a good idea. I think it's difficult because you've really got to get all the vendors to agree on a, on a familiar API or build those mappings yourself in adapters, which is quite a lot of work. I think also, well, I, sh I was just going to say that I think I think that you know if you look at if you look at these these services that are provided and injected and stuff, I think those are the competitive edge of these services. And so they do something weird and wonderful that is very specific to their service. So whether they want that to become a generic thing so that anyone can start up their own serverless platform and just you know contribute to this API and, and inject their own stuff is a, is a big question. I think you know thinking about this strategically, like Swellkit doesn't have a choice. Like it's effectively become a serverless framework, and you're promising to deploy to serverless platforms. Um, so. Uh, you know, for, for the time being, Solkit has to adapt to the reality of each platform. Yeah, one yeah. of my projects, yeah. I'm basically like the, re the way I'm making it work is like uh, in my hooks.js, I I globally polyfill like the Cloudflare stuff. 
like so so that it exists in my dev environment so like uh, but that brings its own problems because it's not it's because it's not being done at SvelteKit core like you can't uh, it's not early enough that like I can use certain functionality inside the hooks.js itself I can only guarantee that because hooks.js does run before everything else but I so I can only guarantee that for everything else the global polyfills are there but I can't guarantee it for hooks itself so there there's a limitation to that approach and of course you just have this huge ugly if block uh, in your uh, hooks that's like if this is dev mode then do all this unnecessary stuff that that's really just to emulate it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I can't talk for any other platforms because I only really studied one of them and, and, and that one being begin, but I know that what it does is it pulls in these things from virtual packages that are provided at runtime, but they're not, they don't really exist. So you kind of get like at architect slash shared and you just import mm. that and you import their stuff from it. Like you import the database connection from that. And that is going to be quite difficult to do at runtime because it's literally, it ends it's up. A, it's a know, virtual code. import, isn't it? Sorry? Is it a virtual import? Like it's, I, it's a good question. I, I don't know. It's, it's something you can import, and if you do it locally, those packages would need to be kind of built and exist already. Maybe maybe that's actually quite feasible, but yeah, it's, it's going to be loads of different approaches like that that would give us the stuff you need. So um, let's hope let's hope this this is something that happens. Yeah, I actually I only checked up on the issue because you guys talked about it. Uh, so now that I see there's some progress, I might actually try to implement this thing. <laughs> Exciting. Exciting. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing that I think, um, you know, we're talking so much about serverless. We're not actually doing, as far as I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong. We're not actually doing serverless right. Um, we're Svelkit basically deploys to a fat function and runs all the routing out of a single function. Whereas, is is that correct? Yeah, that that's correct. So. Yeah, initially the plan was like, okay, let's just work with this single function for now, like, because it's a, the easiest way to implement it, and like maybe implement root splitting. But then one one of the well, one issue with root splitting is that then your code isn't running. You're you you know you you now no longer have to guarantee that your code is running on the same function, like, because like if you hit two separate roots. You might you might have two different functions, you know, like it might be running on two different um, work. Uh, what, what do you call it? Edge, whatever, whatever that's called, like the lambdas. So that might be so state might be an issue. And the other thing is like once we implemented fall through roots, it's it became nigh impossible to kind of split out the roots because now you because now you need to be able. Every route needs to be able to like fall through to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. Like you can, you can, you can extract some very specific root patterns. Like maybe, maybe if it, if you don't use any, was it slug roots, then maybe you could optimize it that way. But as soon as you introduce any fall through roots, like it's, um, it's a lot more complex to be doing root splitting. And yeah, so like it doesn't. I'm not sure how you would split the functions um, logically without like having putting that overhead on a user. Like, hey, like you, you need to declare what uh, what roots belong to what function, and then then it starts becoming way less agnostic. And I the think, other problem, I think also, yeah. Sorry, can, can. Oh yeah, and the uh, other problem, of course, is like then. Um, it might not be supported for all serverless platforms because now you're making some assumptions about the the platform. Like for example, like how many like uh, let's say let's say there are limits on the platform that that are per lambda. Like you can only yeah. do fifty lambdas. Like if you if you had like fifty one roots, <laughs> now you can't deploy your Svelte application because it's uh, split into fifty one lambdas. Like I think, it's, it's I think a weird workers, one. yeah, Cloudflare workers has a like. Uh, max of fifty. I don't remember. I think the cell does too, and 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 it, that that's a weird thing because um, what happened was I think when you say truly serverless, so the notion of root splitting being truly serverless, one function per root, quite disciplined. Um, that that root splitting level level of root splitting came about via Next.js, and I think the reason they did it is because when the Next build was built, 
the routes were actually too big to run inside a Lambda, given the limitations they wanted, like memory size and, and, and megabyte, you know, uh, payload size and stuff. And so that came out of something that was almost like an infrastructure concern. And then now what you've got is that you look at, look at Svelte. And we, we had a discussion about this in the maintainers um, chat. And basically, I think we found that the overhead from just sticking everything in one big function for most apps was very much negligible. You, you could it barely made any difference at all. Right. Like I think, the, I think the that whole... will be the ideal answer, uh, which yeah. is which is this felt is so lightweight anyway that we don't run into those issues of scale for a very long time. And of course, there's you run into the issue of that like the lambdas have this whole idea of like cold starts and like yep. now if you split out your functions now now it's no longer that your entire site is in is in memory. It's like parts of your site are in memory, the other parts aren't. And as your oh, yeah. user navigates around, you you hit that cold start over and over and over and over, unless uh, you're really big that, to that never a, hit the cold start. Right, that, that, that can be a bit of a source of FUD. Uh, so you, you actually want to split it up because of cold starts. Um, it takes longer to cold start something when your function is bigger. Uh, that's why you don't want a big function uh, mm. or a fat function. It's uh, true. It's true. Right. But isn't there a, isn't there a, some some metrics in that right? Because if your lambda is quite small anyway, with all the roots in it, there's always going to be a baseline cold start time. Um, that time is uh, always going down. Like um, sure. when the the, the amounts like we, we're scared of big cold starts. We're not scared of small cold starts. And uh, if you keep your function small, the cold starts are basically negligible, uh, which is why it's very much the recommended way for things to deploy and begin. Uh, one other thing I'll, I'll, I'll re respond to your other concerns raised uh, is that atomic deploys of functions are very much a solved problem. So you can be re relatively assured that uh, if one version of a function is deployed that talks to another function, it's also talking to the same version uh, that of that, as of deployment. So um, that that is that is a concern of a lot of people, and and they have solved atomic deployment. The other thing about routing, I would actually think about some smart edge solutions. So um, basically routing at routing at the edge with like flight at flight.io or <laughs> you know cloudflare workers and and those things will help implement the programmatic fall through thing. Um, but I, I understand that it's it's difficult. So anyway, I just wanted to raise it because I feel like people don't really uh, are surprised when it's a big fat fun function and then they're like, is this serverless or not? Like you're essentially running a server out of a lambda. <laughs> It's an interesting one because actually I think that one thing I noticed when I started using Vercel first is that I think they do use that edge routing. So they've got a router that's like a single bundle and they pass off to the functions that that bundle addresses um, because their routing, uh, and I think to this day is still true, the, the routing uh, stuff is on Google Cloud Platform and the um, deployment, the actual lambdas are running on, on AWS. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's very odd. Huh. All right. Um, what do you guys think? Should we, uh, should we move on to uh, another topic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah that's really good. That was really good. Uh, oh yeah. For, for sure. I, I, for sure. I think probably the biggest blocker was just like fall throughs right now. Like, so it's like, it's a, it's a weird position where it's like, it, um, maybe not a lot of people are using it right now, but it's affecting like how we can like, you know, because now, now you've placed a limitation where, like this, you know, like obviously it needs to be supported in the final deployment as well. Whether you're deploying to serverless or node or well, static doesn't really matter. But yeah. All right. So what's uh, what's happening in Vitland? Since you're a maintainer, maybe you maybe you know because I have no idea what's going on in Vitland. So Vit, we basically have like uh, so so the way Svelte maintainer chat works is like we do it we do a call every month uh, for Vite it's every two weeks so it's a lot faster and as, I guess uh, like it's a lot more organized <laughs> because like we we have we do have like stuff to bring up on the meeting it's like okay here are the PRs for stuff that need to be uh, talked about like here's priority 5 PRs priority 4 PRs like it's sort of in priority order and then um, also talk about you know, big issues like, for example, like the most recent one being uh, SSR handling, uh, which very much affects Velkit in that like um, there's a bunch of dependencies that don't 
currently work in Veet, or like they they require a lot of finagling to make work. For example, D3 has a cyclic dependency problem because like they the which like Veet can't handle, but like technically Node itself can handle just fine. And then there's also issues with like the AWS SDK where they're using really weird package layouts that work with Webpack only. Like so, they've they're doing stuff like here's a package. I have more sub packages in the package, and they have their own package.json, but the top level package.json doesn't actually tell you any of the contents of the sub packages. <laughs> so like you have to like go traverse. You have to basically resolve the package.json files in the way Webpack does it. So the way Vite does it is that it just looks at the top-level package.json, but the way Webpack does it is that it looks at the closest webpack.json, uh, the, the closest package.json, which means it's a lot slower because it has to go, here's the closest one, go up one, here's the next closest one, go up one directory, here's the next closest one, uh, etc. And uh, there's been some, like, un until we get that implemented, there's also been some We've also been wondering whether that's part of the slowness of Webpack as well, <laughs> like that resolution scheme where it's like, well, you have now you have to, have to traverse the whole tree just to support this really edge case setup. Maybe we can hope that uh, AWS changed their uh, setup. That's that's the thing, right? The it's the usually the the dependencies that aren't compatible are usually written by big companies like they it's it's usually the big companies because they're big companies they kind of just do whatever they want and like something sm relatively small like v like compared to webpack it's really small user base is like why should we care that uh this specific bundler doesn't work with our setup like it's like uh it works on webpack and we're using webpack so you know it's like it's very hard to uh convince be, uh, like it's not even just one author right this the fact that it's like a whole company means that like there's hundreds of thousands or like thousands of people writing it so there's not really one person you can talk to you, you can open an issue but it's like it's probably not going to go anywhere whereas like with smaller dependencies you can you can either talk to the author and then like they'll probably have some sort of response or you can even fork it because it's a small enough library that like it's easy to fork and fix the issue. So it's like, is AUS SDK is it open source? Can you actually it is, use the source but code? But like the problem is like it's like you, the 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 kind of things that you need to change are like infrastructure level enough that like you probably need approval from whoever is on, higher up on the chain of like developers. So it's not. I guess it's I'm, not, yeah, so it's not so it's not like we can just we we can create a PR to like change it, but it's like they're, no, they're gonna no, be like, why are you changing it? Yeah, I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm suggesting is, what if we were to make our own branch, like not say we, but someone who is really invested in this would make their own rebundled version of it from the source code. You know, you could automate that job, perhaps stick your own roll-up files in there, whatever, <laughs> and, and fix it that way. I think if I if I had something that was uh, honestly like that, at that, that, at that point, I think I think it would be much easier to make a a lightweight AWS client. Yeah. Which, like honestly, like one, it would be maintainable, like much more maintainable because you're not working with this huge monolithic code base. Two, it's like then you can sort of optimize for like specific use cases. Like for example, if you're optimizing for Cloudflare workers, which is obvious, which is which is a thing. Like you can, like the fact that you can guarantee that certain things exist. Like for example, the Web Crypto API exists, and then Fetch exists, and whatever means that like you can, you can make your module specific to that environment, and like uh, yeah. not have to bring in useless dependencies that just blow up your bundle, or even worse, make it not work on that. Um, uh, was it make it not work on that service? Like for example, Superbase brings in like several layers deep in its dependency. It brings in crossfetch, which is a problem on no on Cloudflare workers because you're not running a node. You're running you're running V8. Like it doesn't have any of the nodeisms. Like it doesn't have the node environment. So like by by assuming that it's in a node environment you've also sort of screwed yourself into 
position where you can't deploy to this specific um, you can't you can't deploy to this to to cloudflare workers if you use superbase unless you do a bunch of dance like replacing sneakily replacing crossfetch out for a, you know our Svelte global fetch which you can do but it's a lot it's not something you think to do as an end user yeah and All right. i guess i guess it started also out as like you did ask like what's going on in vlan is like there's so right now we're trying to get ssr so right now ssr is actually marked experimental but as which is a big blocker for a lot of people who are like we can't use this because it's marked experimental when can you make it stable and so yeah the I, like the biggest roadblock to making it stable is making most dependencies work out of the box without having the user having to like mess around with configs and what uh, and like whatever um, except for of course niche use cases that makes sense all right so uh I think we should probably move on to unpopular opinions. <laughs> I I um, struggled again this week, <laughs> amazingly. I'm obviously happy. I'm too happy and content with everything. Yeah, yeah. So I see, Sean, you, you have one here. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, I um, I figured I would come up with something just because like, we haven't had unpopular opinions in a while. And I think these are always good debates. So this is a two-layer un unpopular opinion. Are you ready? <laughs> the, first, the first layer is that people underrate SEO or companies underrate SEO compared to social media. And I think it's generally true that a lot of people as well, they, they try to get attention by spreading their content, you know, getting readers uh, via social media means um, and building followers or, or whatever through social media. I think, and something something that really convinced me was uh, it's like a it's like a two factor thing. Like people, there's a lot of people just searching for content and will never see you through social. Uh, so SEO is underrated there, um, and also it's an evergreen thing. Like once you rank for something, you probably will rank for quite a while, and that will drive a lot more traffic than your social media posts, which are like a one off, one time event. Uh, issue or so uh, essentially a one-time event and actually most of your followers don't even see uh, your posts uh, because pro like just the the platforms tend to restrict your how much how, how much of your followers can actually see it um, so I think just just in general it's something I've been really thinking about is like how to how to basically get attention for something that you think deserves attention like a svelte or like like a temporal or like you know whatever whatever thing you currently happening happen to be working on and i think seo is probably underrated for the majority of cases um so that's the first layer of opinion this um and if you if you're if you're interested in more uh, basically i have a tweet thread uh on on why that is uh, which is funny enough because I don't I don't do much SEO myself apart from blogging. Um, <laughs> the, but the the thing about the the second layer on unpopular opinion is that I think the rules flip for developer tools. Um, so social media becomes more important than SEO for developer tools, based, mainly because we don't find our solutions by searching. We find out about Svelte and Vite basically entirely through word of mouth. It has to do well on Hacker News, which is a form of social media. We have it has to you know do well on Stack Overflow developer surveys, which isn't a form of social media, but probably everyone who filled it out was influenced by, by social media. So ironically, developers are much more influenced by other people, other developers uh, than Google search results because we just don't Google like, hey, I need a new framework. Like, you, no, you don't, do, you don't do that. You just hear about a new framework from a friend. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's probably true. But I, th I think also that we search for different things, right? When, you, when you're using like a search engine, you're searching for something like how to integrate library X with Svelte or something like that, right? Whereas, yeah, I guess, I guess it makes sense, yeah. Like low, lower layer how-tos are definitely driven by SEO, right? Like uh, you're not going to tweet it. I, like no, no one's really going to care, like, you know, <laughs> how yeah. to spell with Cloudflare. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, SEO probably drives a lot more traffic. I, I was going to disagree with the first point, but then you brought up the second point. And, and, and I think it, well, it mostly falls into the second point where like I see a lot of people in Svelte get kind of asking, 
if I don't care about SEO, I don't need SSR, right? And then, so it, it usually starts like that. Like, uh, can I turn off SSR just so t- to get this thing working? Because like SSR, uh, because I think SSR is the problem. I th- uh, like, I don't need it. I just want an SVA. And I, th- I think in that sense, I was going to say in developer circles at least SEO is almost overrated like it's almost like because it's like they, they think it's the only reason it you need SSR almost like it's like well it, no it's it, performance too yeah like but there, there's other things but like I mean, I mean like it becomes the thing that like people think about like when they're saying okay like why do I need SSR because SEO it's like, it's like it almost becomes the go to answer to the point that like it's uh, people have flipped it around. Well, I don't need SSO, so I don't need SSR. So why why are you forcing SSR on me? Why why is this yeah. thing SSR first? Um, yeah, I mean, so, so for for me, like the SSR and SEO thing, yeah, I see the same question, and and, and I tell people like it's not about SEO. It's like that's the one very small part of what SSR is and why it exists. Um, but I think I think it's a weird one because. It's also, uh, I think we might have mentioned it on the podcast, or maybe I found it in Google or something, but there's a site called Empty States, so empty sta- EmptyStats.es, mm-hmm. I think it is. Yep. Um, and it's just a, a visual dis- display of all the different empty states from websites. And I haven't been able to figure out whether it's saying that these empty states are cool and they're really nice to look at, or whether it's saying that empty states are bad, look, you users haven't got any content. But there will always be a time when a user of your system will go to the page that hasn't yet loaded its data because you're not using SSR and they're looking at an empty screen where they want to see the data and it's delaying their thought process. It's delaying their click and it's delaying them doing what they need to do because you're showing them a blank screen and loading data in the valuable time where they're sat there in front of it. And I think that alone should be the reason that everyone should be using SSR and no one should be using SPAs and except for in some very niche situations. Um, just because looking at a screen that says um, nothing to see yet or we're loading your data, it's, no one needs to do that, right? Just serve them up the page yeah that's a common yep. counter argument i hear also like yeah, like what if what if it takes too long to ssr and like what i'd rather show a loading page instead uh just to tell the user that hey this is loading but like because you because you can do that you can show a loading uh, icon somewhere but what you can do is continue to show the user on the screen the data they were looking at before they clicked Right, they're still having stuff that they can take in and use that's useful to them, perhaps. Right, and I think I think that's probably why people are asking, like, why doesn't Svelte have a sus- React Suspense altered like uh, yeah. stuff? But like, React Suspense is like it's like if you've used Rootify, there's sort of something similar, but it's kind of hacky in that like it's like it kind of has like a timeout delay where like if your SSR doesn't finish in time basically just send an spa to the user is roughly oh, what i was like we'll, so, uh, we'll grill them about that on the next podcast yeah <laughs> we'll say, what we're, is gonna, this? we're gonna have them on in on on thursday so we'll we'll see if, so, if we can uh, they, they probably know something be, like better how how it works but like yeah so like uh there's that but like i i do think i don't think react suspense is the right answer either so like uh, there was like a thread on this on on the svelte subreddit like where it's like there, there was some discussion about um you know like why why doesn't have why doesn't svelte have this and like would it be useful if svelte had this and like you can people kinda... ask the wrong questions yeah they ask the wrong questions don't they i think you've nailed <laughs> it there exactly you say they're saying where's where's felt suspense what the question is is what are you trying to do and let's work back from there and figure out what you need in order to achieve that right and i think i think a more a more sensible solution might be might be and i'm not saying this is the only solution it's like maybe okay work on partial hydration and it's like uh then you know like you can send here's a skeleton uh, like not not just a skeleton but like you know here's all the static stuff on your page here's most of the data we've already loaded quickly, and now maybe maybe some part of your maybe you know some part of your page is going to load slowly, and then you can just partially hydrate that part. So that right now, SvelteKit doesn't have that. Right, you either have your entire page is pre-rendered, or uh, sorry, you have either your entire page is static, or your entire page is has to be hydrated, which sucks a lot for something like blogs 
where like you're using say MDSVX to uh, import uh, Markdown, and then like you have to, but you'd have a little bit of interaction on your page. Let's say your navigation bar. If you want your navigation bar to work, you need to enable hydration. But if you enable hydration, you also have this 60 kilobyte hydration code just for the blog post because yeah. it's because it's Markdown, like which is really stupid. It's like, and I have no idea how. Like right now, with with the current tools that we have, like that's not in Svelte Core. Like, how would how would an end user solve that? Because you can, or because someone else has it in their framework or library, or whatever, doesn't mean that you should. And I think I think Rich is very good at, at understanding that, right? Rich is very Rich. I think applies that to everything that he looks at. All right. Yep. We'll see what happens in the future. All right. So, uh, any other unpopular opinions? Nope. Apart from everything I say, yes. No. <laughs> All right. Let's move to, to picks then. I can I can go first. Mine is uh, a new terminal called Warp Warp. It's yeah, it's a terminal. It's made in Rust, apparently. And it has some pretty nifty features where you can like copy blocks of code and you can share them instantly. And you just like upload them online you can share like a url and people can see the the error with all of the the colors and all that fancy stuff it's pretty cool nice. That's it's very good. fast only available on mac at the moment unfortunately oh come on <laughs> <laughs> wait it's made in rust but it's only it's not cross-platform that's uh, it's, it's surprising to hear yeah, I guess it, I guess uh, it uses a lot of the Apple UI kit stuff then, like for the UI, I guess. I, I, I don't think it does. I, I think it's just like a matter of them wanting to build something. It's you need an invite to to use, like to to be able to download it. So, so like Clubhouse then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we all know how the, how Clubhouse worked out. Yeah, right. Actually, actually great. For those that use it, I mean, initially <laughs> it did. I, I've I've literally just uninstalled it from my phone now. I just can't be bothered. Yeah, but like the the thing about this, the thing about your usage is that you are always going to be a tourist. So, um, <laughs> you are not Clubhouse's core audience. It's true. Um, it's true. They have they have opened up out of beta, and uh, they have something like ten million users since mid May, and five hundred thousand rooms per day, even today. So wow. they're not they're not dead. Oh, no, no, they're, they're not, not dead. dead. They're not dead. You just see a lot of no, 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 no. They're they're not dead outside, but they're kind of. So it's not dead inside, but it's like it's really weird. Where it's like, it at, at least as a user that just got into it, it's like, why are why are there so many crypto groups? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of that <laughs> like it's very it's a very specific niche of like people in like. A huge, a huge part of the audience seems to be like people in Silicon Valley doing Silicon Valley stuff like crypto, and it's like, well, I, uh, it's a bit hard to get into that like if you're not already into that kind of topic. I ended up in like a real estate zone somehow. Loads of real estate talks. I didn't mind actually; they're quite interesting. But like, what? <laughs> Pretty amazing. Any any other picks? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Anthony had a pick, or I can go. I had, I had one. I'm going to skip it because I think mine's quite, quite involved and it's, uh, it's getting long already. So. All right, I'll, I'll do a quick pick. I've been playing Spider-Man Miles Morales. I played the original Spider-Man maybe two years ago, and then um, Miles Morales came out, which is like a sequel based on the exact same map, but they just had more content. And I just, I'm a huge fan of Miles Morales just because I, he is such an interesting new take on the Spider-Man character. And the, the, the plus, the, the A plus sign for me is essentially like basically at the end of the, the game, you get a, a special suit called the Bodega Cat Suit. And in it, you wear a backpack with a cat in it. And the cat just goes around with you solving crime. Uh, and there's this finisher where like you, you, you like take down the bad guy and then the cat comes out and scratches it to, to deal the finishing blow. And it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Is Spider-Man. it for? Is it for PS5? Or? Yeah, PS4, PS5. Uh, you okay. can you can do both. Cool. Grigor, do you have a a pick? You well, a, you don't ha- you don't have to pick one. <laughs> I've been I've been looking at like monitors recently, 
and it's like uh, there's so many variants. It's uh, and like you have to be really careful with like, okay, the, like for example, like yes, there are paper specs that you can look at, but like there's a lot that's that the paper specs are kind of like inaccurate about. Like for example, refresh, not refresh rate. Uh, was it gray to gray? Like the 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 how fast a pixel changes from one color one gray color to another gray color. That's apparently often uh, uh, like they're basically lying on the spec sheet. Like they'll say one ms g to g switch times, uh, but like uh, turns out you, if in the review it's like uh, oh it actually is like a lot longer. And so maybe it says like oh this can run up to hundred forty four hertz. But turns out, uh, but actually, it can't because um, the delay between switching pixels is longer than the time it takes uh, between, uh, like how fast you need to be for 144 hertz. So there is that. Like there, like I have to worry about as well. Like there's like, turns out there's like a bunch of ways you can make monitors. Like there's twisted pneumatic, there's IPS. There's VA, there's OLED, but like OLED isn't really a thing for monitors apparently. Like you can get TVs, but they're gonna be huge. So like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it shouldn't. It shouldn't because it, don't OLEDs have problems like about burning stuff. Yeah, there's. There, I don't know if they fixed so, that. So, is is your pick picking monitors? Is it a meta, <laughs> is it a meta thing? <laughs> I get like I mean I I did I I did end up with a choice but it was, it was more like out of necessity of like okay like let's balance these requirements it's like rather than like a true pick I guess it yep. it was more like okay I need I I am looking for something that's like at least 120 hertz I'm looking for 144p 40 1440p and it's like maybe ultra wide screen I don't know uh, we'll see so. Your pick yes. is the is the comparison process of choosing a monitor. I quite like that. That is meta. <laughs> that's kind of my that's like my level of meta for picks. <laughs> All right. I think uh, I think that's that's it for us. Thank you for uh, joining us. Thank Martin. you. Thank you. All. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.